Welcome to the Forbidden Forest. This is James, and we are reading chapter 29 of the Blood Magic series, Night Terrors. August 30th, 2008. Draco was running. He was zigzagging through the corridors of his childhood, fear licking his insides, looking for a place to disappear. The manor had so many places to hide, but unfortunately for him, these secluded alcoves and rooms often already had a lurking occupant, with greedy hands and forceful aims. So he ran, trying to keep his footsteps quiet and his breathing even so he wouldn't be discovered. He needed to find somewhere safe. He needed to hurry. He could hear footsteps following him, a deep laugh ringing out and echoing around the cold marble of the halls. Before he could turn another corner, he felt a solid mass slam into him, hot breath on the back of his neck, as he was cornered in a niche in the wall, the moment of impact in slow motion, prolonged and emphatic in its goal, to make Draco feel powerless. He felt sharp fingers pushing his face into the cold marble wall before sliding up and gripping tight to his white blonde hair and a hard and unwelcome cock insistent against his ass as he tried with everything he had to fight back against his attacker. Another hand raking its way along his back beneath his clothing, pulling his trousers down and ripping them at the seams. He could smell the fire whiskey on his breath, hot and unrelenting, just behind his ear. He could hear him whispering in that marbled low voice of all of the terrifying things he was about to do. Lestrange had loved to call him pet names, and his subconscious dragged them all out in the dream, each word rolling off of Lestrange's tongue and coiling like acid deep within his gut, slicing him open. Don't worry, sweetheart, I like it when you scream, was punctuated with Lestrange's tongue licking the patch behind his ear. But his arms moved as if in molasses, and when he opened his mouth to scream, nothing came out. The thrill of panic exploded in his chest, as he was wrenched from the alcove by a familiar and concerned-sounding voice. Malfoy, it's okay, Malfoy. It's just a dream. Wake up. Draco hadn't realized he was screaming until he was out of breath. He was covered in sweat and his hair and clothing clung to his damp skin. He was shaking as Harry whispered soothing things he couldn't understand. His eyes darting wildly around the room, taking in the details as if he was bidden to memorize them. He was in the cottage. He wasn't at the manor. He was with Potter, not Lestrange. He was safe. He was okay. He realized he had a vice grip on Harry's shoulder, perhaps to steady himself, to anchor him to reality, or to keep him away. He wasn't sure. But the realization filled him with embarrassment, and he let go quickly, rubbing his eyes as if to clean away the images of his dream from his mind. Harry just sat there on his heels at Draco's side, watching him carefully, keeping his hands to himself. Finally, Draco got up shakily and pushed past Harry and stumbled to the loo where he promptly vomited, the smell of fire whiskey still clinging to his nose, crisp and smoky and stale as all of the days and nights he had felt drowned in it on their breath. He could hear Harry moving around the kitchen and boiling the kettle. Draco hadn't had a nightmare that visceral in a long time. It had been years since he'd thrown up from one. He felt fevered and filled with the sense that his grip on reality was shaky, tenuous at best. He kept feeling his face and stretching his hands out in front of him to try and ascertain whether or not he existed, 
whether or not he had a body or if he was just an amorphous blob of bad memories and adrenaline, whether or not this was real, or if he had simply disassociated here while his real self lay battered and bloodied by Strange's sadistic needs. After what felt like hours, although it was probably only ten minutes, he hauled himself off of the bathroom floor and washed his face. He was still shaking. He felt racked with cold and a fear that just wouldn't dissipate. He didn't want to face Harry, but the thought of being alone in this wash closet for one more second might make him puke again. He wanted Harry's comfort, his presence, his solid calm and easy voice, the confirmation that his safety wasn't a grand illusion, that this was real. Their cabin in Tenebris Hollow was real. He came back out of the bathroom and saw that Harry had lit a candle on the bedside table and sat on Draco's bed with a cup of tea. The sight of him sitting there so comfortable and patiently waiting sent a shock of affection and gratitude through him so strong he felt he might burst into tears. Crossing the room, he noticed the faint and fresh smell of his encouragement lingering on the air. Harry must have rubbed their leaves for Draco. The thought made his heart feel tight in his chest. Shuffling over to the bed, shivering with fear or cold, he couldn't tell. He gratefully accepted Harry's proffered tea and sank down onto the mattress beside him with a shuddering sigh. He spent a few minutes trying to even his breathing while Harry just sat there in comfortable silence. Do you want to talk about it? Harry asked quietly. When Draco didn't answer, Harry continued. It seemed worse than the other ones you've had while we've been here. It was, Draco said. His voice was scratchy and hoarse from screaming. Harry nodded. He moved his hand in a weird way, as if he wanted to reach out and touch Draco, but thought better of it and restrained himself. Draco suddenly realized he really, really wanted that comfort right now. That if he didn't have someone to anchor him to this reality, he might float off into space or get sucked into a vortex that would take him back to the manor with Lestrange. He looked into Harry's face with pleading eyes, not knowing how to ask for what he needed. Can we... Draco tried, but couldn't get the words out. Can we what? Harry asked, patiently. I don't want to run again, he pushed out, not knowing how else to say it. Understanding flashed across Harry's face, and he slowly got up from the bed, took Draco's tea mug from him, and placed the two cups on the side table. Then, turning back to Draco, he indicated for him to move over. Harry wordlessly crawled under the covers with Draco and wrapped a solid arm over him, pulling him into his chest. He waved his free hand almost imperceptibly, and the light of the single candle went out. Draco took a huge cleansing breath and blew it out into Harry's shirt as his shivering started to ease. Harry's smell drenched his senses, and he felt safe. Is this okay? Harry whispered. Mm hmm, Draco managed and nodded focusing on his breathing, trying not to burst into tears. The reality of this soothing gesture fighting with his past experiences for dominance. He could hear Harry's heartbeat, slow and rhythmic, and he counted the beats in sets of 20 to calm himself. He didn't know how long they lay there like that, with Harry gently stroking Draco's hair, their legs tangled together, and Draco's hands crumpled under his chin. But eventually the fear began to seep away from him, and his trembling ceased. It was Lestrange, Draco whispered into the darkness. 
He couldn't see Harry's face, which was pressed into the top of Draco's head, but he preferred it that way. Harry's hands stilled in Draco's hair only for a fraction of a second at the admission before continuing its methodical carding. He, he was, Draco stuttered, not really sure what words to use to describe that pitiful excuse for a human. A monster, Harry offered softly. Yes, Draco said, glad he didn't have to explain it fully. I know, Harry said. I was the Auror on his case over the last few years trying to catch him. It was after I messed up the raid that caught Yaxley and McNair, but let him free, that I tried heroin for the first time, that very night. I had hurt Seamus Finnegan with uncontrolled magic, and I knew the drugs would keep it suppressed. Harry had a distracted sound to his voice, and he paused his hand in Draco's hair. But eventually he seemed to shake it off, and the small tender movements continued, just as before. Draco considered this. He didn't know how to react to the information. Not only the drugs, but he had given up hope on Lestrange ever being brought to justice. He was, he tried again, he was the only one I had to watch out for. All the others I could fight off, if he wasn't around. But if he was there, there was no getting out. Him and Greyback. Harry responded by giving Draco a gentle squeeze and breathing deeply as if to steady himself. Is that what your dream was about? He asked with a forced calm. Draco nodded. He used to chase me through the corridors like it was a game. The dreams are so real sometimes. He paused. Please tell me this is real and that we really are in the forbidden forest laying in a bunk bed. Please tell me this isn't a clever hallucination. He tried to sound derisive and amused, but it came out sounding scared and timid. Harry huffed a soft laugh. It's real, Draco. Draco sunk into the space against Harry's chest. His given name on Harry's lips felt so safely kept. He's the reason I can't even smell fire whiskey without flashbacks anymore, he said. That's how I had a panic attack in front of Neville. He was preparing a tincture in the greenhouses with it and broke a jar and off I went. After a beat, he added, please promise me you won't ever drink it around me. Draco, I'm a recovering drug addict. I promise I won't be drinking anything around anyone. I've just been quietly thankful you never even have wine with dinner. Harry said, his tone sure, as if he had spent a lot of time and consideration on the thought. Oh, Draco considered. He'd never thought about that. They laid in silence for what felt like another hour before Harry spoke again. Do you want me to stay down here or go back to my bed? Harry's consideration made Draco want to cry and vomit at the same time because it was just so nice. He didn't think he would ever have someone understand him like that. Stay he said, and they eventually slipped off into an easy sleep. August 31st, 2008. The first thing Draco realized when he woke up was that he was alone in his bed. He felt instantly relieved and maybe a hint disappointed. He felt like he'd been run over by a rampaging dragon, and he curled deeper into his duvet. He could hear shuffling in the kitchen and wondered when Harry had gotten up, Wondered if he had intentionally gotten up early to avoid another forest flight. The thought made him feel a little embarrassed, and he shifted uncomfortably. The memory of the night before washing over him, making him feel stupid. He hated giving away his secrets, leaving him feeling vulnerable and useless. But it had felt so good, 
yes, it had felt good having someone understand him, having someone ground him, hold him. Draco's shifting out from the pile of covers must have caught Harry's attention because his soft voice cut across the room. Malfoy, how do you feel about pancakes? Draco smiled. He was grateful he wouldn't be forced to speak about last night just yet. By pancakes, do you mean crepes or flapjacks? Uh, I don't know, Harry said, sounding bemused. Small, circular, cakey things fried in a pan, covered in syrup and jam, not the super thin ones. Flapjacks, Draco confirmed. And I have only good feelings about them. He smiled at Harry as he gathered his clothes and marched off to the loo to change. Well, good, Harry said to Draco's back. Harry didn't bring up Draco's nightmare over breakfast and instead suggested they spend the day hiking to a small pond he had found while exploring the western woods, one where they could swim as the weather was hot and muggy. Come on, Malfoy, it's too hot for you to be cooped up and bent over your cauldron today. It's too hot to do anything other than be slothful. He looked like an eager, pleading child, so full of joyful anticipation. The idea of a hike and a swim sounded amazing, actually, but Draco was suddenly filled with apprehension about taking off his clothes. Fuck it, he thought. He would have to start breaking down his walls eventually. All right, he said. Let's pack a lunch. Harry beamed at him, and Draco thought a smile that radiant should be illegal, so he rolled his eyes in return. Harry led them to the spot by the Rowan Grove and the stream where they had laid on the boulder after Draco's forest flight, and then began to pick his way downstream, pausing only to say hello to a playful otter that followed them briefly, cajoling in the stream's more turbid waters, diving and twirling and making a spectacle of her obvious skill. Harry had laughed and chatted to her, calling her Alice, and Draco had been profoundly taken aback that they had seemed almost old friends. The air was thick with moisture, and after only twenty minutes outside the cabin, their clothes were stuck to their sweaty skin and their hair damp. How far are we walking? Draco asked, trying not to sound too exasperated already. It's not too far, Harry consoled, maybe twenty minutes or so from here. Not so bad, Draco said more to himself. When did you find this place? A few weeks ago, but I didn't take the time to go swimming then. Thought it would be nice for the both of us to go. He flashed Draco a smile, and Draco felt a confusing mixture of pleasure and embarrassment that he didn't want to think too hard about. They walked in comfortable silence, bugs flying up around them as they disturbed the undergrowth of the trees, frogs leaping out of their way, and a few thestrals picking their way after them. Soon the canopy cover began to thin as the stream led out into a little clearing that nestled a beautiful pond against a rocky outcropping. The stream ran into this pool before continuing its path out the other side and down further into the valley. The far side of the pond was buffeted by rocks and boulders piled high with moss, vines, and water-loving flower growing thick in the crevices. Wow, Draco confessed. Impressive. I thought so. Harry seemed chuffed with having unearthed such a beautiful place, carefully hidden in the depths of their forest hideaway. They found a shaded spot to drop their things, and without preamble, Harry stripped his sweaty shirt and trousers off, quickly disrobing down to his black pants and running off to the other side of the pond, where he unceremoniously scaled the rocks. After reaching what Draco thought to be an unnecessary height, Harry launched himself off an impressive boulder and hit the water with a fantastic splash. 
Draco had been so enamored by Harry's enthusiasm and near nudity that he hadn't even taken his own shoes off yet, a dumbfounded smile plastered across his face. What are you doing over there, watching the trees grow? Harry shouted at him, laughing, splashing water in his direction and swimming out to the middle of the pond. I am in no rush, Potter, Draco said, smiling back and slowly beginning to disrobe. He felt better about this that Harry was already in the water and wasn't standing right next to him, and he began peeling his clothes off. Each button exposed him. Each centimeter of skin felt like uncovering a dark and terrible secret. He decided against discarding his last layer. His dark mark on display was enough for now. Well, you should be. This is amazing. He was floating on his back with his eyes closed. Draco began walking towards the water's edge with bare feet in his gray pants and white t-shirt. Oh, the water was so nice and cool, he thought, as he began to slowly walk out. The bottom was thankfully sandy instead of murky, and since the water in the pool was technically running, it was relatively clear, save for the tannin tinge from the forest plants. After walking in waist-deep, he dove in, ducking his head under the cool relief and swimming a few lazy laps back and forth past Harry, who continued to float idly. Draco eventually joined Harry in his aimless floating. After a relaxing beat of silent drifting, Harry asked cautiously, can I ask why you're wearing a shirt while swimming? Draco cracked one eye open to glance at Harry, who had a curious look on his face. You don't have to answer that, Harry said, after Draco didn't answer, looking a little shy. Draco was sure he could see a pink tinge somewhere on his cheeks, instantly feeling jealous that he could hide a blush so effectively, one that would have turned him a clear and violent scarlet. Actually, I kept my shirt on for your benefit, Potter, Draco eventually answered with feigned nonchalance. Harry looked profoundly confused. My benefit? What, you think I'd find you so blindingly attractive it would ruin my day? Draco snorted. No, you bark. Honestly, how vain do you think I am? Then he added seriously, I just don't want to add another layer to your Gryffindor guilt complex. Harry's look of utter confusion lasted only a few seconds more before it was replaced with a look of pure horror. Oh my fuck, he said. The bathroom. His eyes went impossibly wide. Draco stopped floating on his back to properly face Harry while treading water. Yes, he said gently. He could tell Harry was searching his face for signs of anger, resentment, or even hatred. But really though, Potter, I tried to crucio you. We don't need to rehash this. Harry didn't look mollified, he looked mortified. How bad is it? He asked, clearly uncertain whether or not he wanted the answer. It's not worse than any of my other scars, honestly, but I really, really didn't want you to get like, he indicated at Harry with a flourish, this. How can I not? Harry asked, voice a little too loud. His eyes were still huge. Potter, Draco said, feeling that he would like to be done with this. Do I look upset? Well, you can't even enjoy a swim without taking your shirt off, Harry retorted. Draco took a deep breath and asked resignedly, Okay, do you really want to have this discussion? Yes, Harry nearly yelled, spluttering a bit as he tried to keep up treading water. Okay, but just calm the fuck down, please. You're being dramatic. Harry huffed and rolled his eyes, indignant but not denying the assertion. First of all, like I said, I kept my shirt on to avoid having this discussion at all, actually. 
he said pointedly. Secondly, I haven't been shirtless willingly in front of someone since I was 14, and it's certainly not the scars doing that. Not the physical ones, anyways. Harry looked at him contemplatively. So really, Draco continued, I did this for your benefit, not my own. Can we please drop it? If you want to swim without a shirt on, you should be able to, Harry challenged. Draco sighed. Not if you're going to let it ruin your day. I'd rather keep it on, thanks, he said with a sardonic laugh. No, really, Malfoy, I won't be weird. Just let me say this. I'm really sorry about that curse. There's no excuse for me having used something like that on someone. And I am sorry. And I'm sorry it took me this long to apologize for it. Harry's face was earnest, his green eyes bright and full of sincerity, of regret and determination all at once. Thank you, Malfoy said sincerely. It was nice to hear the apology. But now that that's out of the way, can we please drop it? Are you going to keep your shirt on? Harry asked. Why are you so intent on seeing me without my clothes on? Malfoy tried to deflect. I'm not, he spluttered. I just, I just want you to feel comfortable and to be able to do what you want without worrying about me. He averted his eyes, seeming to feel he may have overstepped. Draco considered him for a while and then sighed. If you say one fucking word about it, I don't know what I'll do, but it'll be unpleasant. He pointed at Harry, threateningly, emphasizing his sincerity. Not a word, Harry said, looking solemn, drawing a cross over his heart with a finger like a small child solemnly swearing. Draco looked intently into Harry's eyes before he swam back towards the shallow end, peeled the wet fabric from his body before throwing the sopping shirt at their shaded spot. He took a deep breath, collecting his courage, feeling more nervous than he wanted to let on. He turned resolutely on the spot and swam back to Harry, who looked constipated from trying to keep in all the things he clearly wanted to say. Not a word, Draco warned with a raised eyebrow. Mm-hmm, Harry agreed, screwing up his face as he reined himself in. He let out a long-suffering sigh and then said, Okay, before looking back into Draco's face with a look of devious mischief. I bet I'm a faster swimmer than you, Malfoy. The all-too-familiar challenge back in his voice. First one to the rock wall wins, and he dove off without waiting for a reply from Draco. You lousy cheat, Draco yelled after him, as he too dove towards the rock wall. They passed two easy hours challenging each other to more and more ridiculous feats of water-related strength and stamina. Harry was faster, but Draco could hold his breath longer, and neither of them could figure out how to do a proper backstroke effectively. They were laughing and exhausted by the time Harry suggested they break for lunch. Clambering out of the water, they startled three thestrals that had come to drink at the edge of the pond. The two ducked into the shade to share their picnic lunch of leftover flapjacks and a treacle tart Harry had snuck into the bag. Harry had bribed the house elves of Hogwarts with a gift of half-finished knitted socks that Draco had started but wouldn't miss. They were lying lazily in the grass, Draco on his back with an arm slung over his eyes and Harry on his stomach, head resting on his hands as he watched the thestrals gather at the water's edge. Draco had caught Harry stealing guilt-ridden glances at Draco's curse scars since he had removed his shirt, but Harry had kept his promise and didn't say a word about them, nor let them ruin his day. The only comment Harry had made about Draco's appearance was, a Merlin, Malfoy, you're so pale it's blinding me to which Draco couldn't even argue against. And Draco had been caught stealing similar glances at Harry, although for entirely different reasons. 
Draco was listening to the orchestra of birdsong in the forest, mingling with the sound of a gentle breeze playing in the field of flowers around them. It was a perfectly gorgeous day, and he felt gloriously content, lying there, having lazy conversations with Harry. They were just about to go back into the water when Harry shushed Draco's tirade about atmospheric charms. What? Draco asked, feeling a prickle on the back of his neck at Harry's sudden seriousness and distant staring. Harry held a hand up towards Draco to reinforce his silence. Then all at once Draco realized what was wrong. It was deathly silent around them. The raucous sound of frogs and birds and insects that had been the constant backdrop of their time there that day had evaporated. And the Thestrals. Where was their ever-present company of Thestrals? What the fuck is happening? Draco whispered, trying not to sound as on edge as he felt. Harry didn't answer, but he sprang to his feet as he said quietly but assertively, get dressed. And he began walking in a fast circle around their picnic site, muttering under his breath and waving his hands in an arcing motion. Salvio Hexia, Inimicum, Draco heard him saying as he dressed in record speed and packed away their things even faster. When Harry was done doing whatever it was he was doing, he came back to where Draco stood with wide, worried eyes and started pulling his own clothes back on. I don't think we're alone, Harry said quietly, but with the charms I just put up, they won't know we're here. What? Draco whispered, feeling panic rising. Judging by Harry's behavior, he could be sure that whoever or whatever was nearby wasn't a friendly guest popping by for tea. Just as he was about to press Harry for more information, he saw movement on the far side of the clearing, at the edge of the forest. Three figures emerged and began walking towards their hidden spot. Draco felt Harry's hand squeeze his bicep, reassuring him. They can't see or hear us, he reminded Draco. But as they drew nearer, Draco felt his unease increase. He recognized two of them. They were werewolves, lackeys of Greyback. They had been in the manor. They had participated in muggle torture, weekend debauchery. Can they smell us? Draco's voice came out shakier and higher than he meant. Harry shot Draco a quizzical look. Werewolves, Draco mumbled, feeling absolutely filled with terror now. And not the nice Professor Lupin kind, the grayback kind. He reflexively grabbed Harry's arm to steady himself. Harry didn't respond. He just found Draco's hand and squeezed it tight pulling Draco behind him. It seemed they would go completely unnoticed until one of the werewolves began sniffing the air in earnest. Draco repressed a violent shiver of fear as the two he recognized began walking towards their hiding place, the third wandering out of sight on the other side of the pond. They can't see us or come past our protective enchantments, Draco, we're safe. Harry intoned, keeping himself between Draco and the intruders. They can smell us, can't they? Draco asked again. It doesn't matter if they can, Harry assured. As the unwanted guests drew nearer, they could begin to make out their conversation. Thought I smelled something, Frankie, the smaller one growled. Now there's nothing. You're still smelling your last kill on the wind, the larger one retorted. No, I smell men. I do. I can smell them. He sounded excited, his chin lifting up as he scented the air again. Wishful thinking, my friend, the other jeered. You're just hoping to catch something that's not a deer. It 
It's been too long, a third voice sounded from directly behind Harry and Draco, just inches from the barrier of their protective charms, making Draco nearly jump out of his skin in fright. Since we had that pretty girl near Hogsmeade, too long, and I can smell something too. You're both barking mad, Frankie roared, clearly agitated by his companion's distraction. Come on, let's get going. We're still hours from camp, and I don't fancy a nighttime stroll. The earnestly sniffing werewolf looked at him and seemed to deliberate whether it was worth arguing the point or not. Mercifully, it seemed, it was not. Yeah, all right, he conceded. We should head back to Hogsmeade next moon. I'm starved for a real hunt, he leered. The three werewolves enjoyed some graphic banter as they moved off, continuing to follow the stream out of sight. It was another hour before Harry canceled their protective enchantments and marched them back to the cottage in a strict and careful silence, not a single Thestral to be seen along the way. Upon reaching the comfort of their forest home, Draco went straight for his bed and hid beneath his mountain of blankets and pillows for the remainder of the evening. This was an important chapter. Mm. What was your inspiration for writing Draco's backstory about Lestrange the way you did? What the fuck kind of question is that? Um, what was my inspiration for that? It's very specific. That's a great question. I feel like that's something that we, like, bantered about for a while before we decided to actually put it down on paper. But I knew that I was going to write him dealing with recovery from um, sexual violence and just how to, like, what situation to put him in was just something that took a bit of figuring out but it seemed to make sense to have somebody who was a Death Eater mm-hmm. and somebody who was technically a part of his family. Because mm. people you know and people you're related to, it's more often than not, like, fam- close family friends or a relative. Yeah, and I think we forget that through the, the series. Yeah. That is, the Lestrange brothers are yeah. family. Yeah, I mean, that's his aunt's husband. Yeah. Yeah, it's his uncle. And... um yeah, somebody a part of that like close inner circle. It just felt like and it, it it felt really important to make that a part of it. Okay. Um and any other details like I remember you writing the dream, the dream mm-hmm. sequence that you did at the beginning of the chapter. And I think the first time you wrote it it was really amorphous and I was the <laughs> one who said add actual detail. Yeah. yeah. And so what made you decide the details that you added? Because it's quite creepy. Yeah. Um but I actually think you added those details. Did I write yeah. that? Because what my original version was super amorphous and like yeah. abstract and like I had I could not figure out what was appropriate to write. Like it, my brain just was not doing it. And so you were I, I'm pretty sure you were the one who actually wrote the specific like details. Yeah, cuz I was going to ask it doesn't really seem like something you would write. It's not. Good to know. <laughs> it's me. I'm creepy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, but the feeling that you get from it is very much like predatory yeah. older 
Yeah. Um, Draco feels very small in mm. your description of it, and yeah. you know, very overpowered and like physically and and in terms of space, like the way he's looming over him. Yeah, and definitely. It's very it goes creepy. from being in an open corridor to a small niche in the wall. Mm-hmm. And I, I know I wrote that part, and then you wrote like the actual details of the interaction. Yeah, just like the idea of him breathing on him yeah. is just very gross. Yeah, very. Yeah. yeah. And this idea, like, specific to being in his childhood home. Like, that's mm. a place where, like, you're supposed to be safe or your parents are supposed to keep you safe. Yeah, there's no mention of Narcissa or Lucius. Or where the fuck they are, yeah. what they're doing. Yeah, yeah, they just sort of have invited this group of people into their home, into yeah. Draco's space, and yeah. he's bearing the brunt of that. Yeah. Yeah, very disturbing, mm. I think. Um, and we mentioned dreams before in the series and, like, how we're using them and... Mm. Um, how do you imagine that this dream functions in the story? Are we just meant to be given a glimpse of like what Drake was coming from, or mm. um, like have do you have other plans for how you're using dreams for him? Well, I think for Draco specifically, I mean, we mentioned this, I think, with the last chapter when Harry has his dream. Um, for Draco, they're almost entirely negative. Yeah, like it's it's nightmares mm-hmm. constantly. And it's like a place where he spends so much of his time during the day doing that thing where he's just surviving and trying not to think about his trauma. And even though he is slowly working away at it, he spends a lot of his waking moments not dealing with it. Mm-hmm. And I think it comes out in his dreams a lot. Yeah, so that's a, something also very specific to sexual assault and mm-hmm. sexual violence is that survivors, something like over 80% of survivors have nightmares mm-hmm. just afterwards. Nightmares is an incredibly common symptom of what's called rape trauma syndrome, um, which is like basically PTSD from sexual assault. And one of the interesting things that um, survivors report is that nightmares come back. Yeah. Um, Very similar nightmares of the event. Yes. Um, And like as you're starting to like open the box and explore things. Look look at things in the box. Yeah, yeah. even if you aren't doing it like consciously in your Mm -hmm. day, like you're talking about, he's still avoiding through the day. Yeah. But then at night, you know, mm-hmm. he is working through things yeah. and that, you know, resurgence of feelings yeah. and memories is a really common phenomenon. Yeah. And I think the thing, too, is with his proximity to Harry, he's being forced to actually face and deal with yeah. a lot of his fears. And um, a lot of times when you start in your recovery in this specific way, like with sexual assault, like the nightmares can become a thing. Yeah. Like when you're actually starting to like heal and go through that stuff. Definitely. It's like, look at all this stuff you haven't looked at in a while. Yeah, and it's really interesting when you wrote this chapter. It's sort of like, it starts with this horrible thing. Mm. And then we have this like amazing scene between mm. the two of them. Yeah. It's like very happy and carefree, like yeah. swimming when it's hot in the summer. Yeah. Like, you know, just very like um, playful, enjoyable, you know, like mm. all of us can relate to that, like, you know, yeah. hot, sticky summer days and you jump mm. in like a cool pond, yeah, like so f- carefree and fun. And they're like, you know, playing games yeah. with each other and being si- silly, like after the shirt yeah, yeah. thing. And then you close the chapter again with something like very sinister, mm. um, and scary that sort of recalls that. So yeah. I was wondering about how you thought about building that chapter and how you married those three yeah. parts like what what was the plan there yeah I think what I wanted to do was like mirror like he so he had the nightmare which is like you know he's not in that situation anymore mm-hmm. it's just like recurrent it's it's trauma that he's still processing yeah and then the idea that there are werewolves or there are people out there 
who were a part of his trauma that are still out there walking around. Yeah. Like, that's still actually looming over him. So Lestrange even... Lestrange is still free. Yeah, Lestrange is still free. Like, two of the werewolves he recognizes were a part of the group of people who spent time at the manor mm-hmm. and, like, participated in that violence. And those people are still out there. Yeah. So it's like how much, like, you know, and how many people experience sexual violence have to go through their own healing and recovery process knowing that those people are still out there. Yeah, or sometimes <laughs> even in the same household or the yeah. same neighborhood or the same, you know, professional environment. Yeah. Like, it's very, very common that someone is going through this recovery process and the other person is suffering no consequences yeah. for their the the heinous acts that they commit. Yeah. And I think you did a cool job of sort of mirroring that and how it can so easily tarnish something. Yeah. So like joyful. Like they're having like such a good time mm. and like the relationship that they're building years is like, and years later, yeah. totally unrelated setting, mm-hmm. nothing to do with Lestrange or the manor. Yeah. Yet somehow he's like yeah. right back there. Yeah, exactly. Being sucked into it like so hard. Yeah. And Harry being a great support person well it's interesting because the last well in the rowan grove mm-hmm. we talked about how he doesn't even carry this knife anymore mm-hmm. he's like oh there's nothing in the forest yeah the forest is great it's like, totally safe yeah and as soon as he goes out into the forest with draco and mm-hmm. it's obvious that they haven't explored together at yeah. all because draco doesn't know alice mm-hmm. he doesn't he's like you know not familiar yeah. with uh, the path that he's taking, and, and Harry said he wanted to go. He found this place before, yeah. but he wants to go with Draco. So as soon as, like, Harry's taking Draco with him and he feels, like, this sort of responsibility for someone yeah. else's safety, he has to be, like, or Harry yeah. style again. Yeah. Or Harry on the run. <laughs> yeah. Who knows all these protective enchantments yeah, like, to keep it gets them like, safe. It's, like, weirdly... <laughs> <laughs> Disaster preparedness. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, yeah. I mean, it works well in this situation because he, he immediately goes to safety, yeah. uh, ensuring Draco's safety, mm-hmm. which is nice. And I always thought it was like, so we, like, built this idea that they're, you know, they're in the Forbidden Forest. It's a dangerous place. But their experiences so far has been, like, Draco's just, like, lulling in the grass, stalking unicorns. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, nothing. my God, unicorns. Like, nothing mm-hmm. happening. Just thestrals everywhere. And Harry's experience has been, like you said, the Rowan Grove and Alice. And, mm-hmm. you know, just, like, very positive. Yeah. And, and it, that seemed to us, like, in a, in a sense, like, almost a little unrealistic. So it's yeah. like, you know... You forget it's the same forest that's full of acromantula. Yeah, exactly. You know, and the centaur herds and a, a giant. And yeah, there's a, there's a giant in there somewhere. Yeah, there's actually <laughs> lots of things yeah. in there. Um, so Tenebris Hollow itself feels mm. very secluded and safe. And then they do this, you know, day trip where they wander a little bit too yeah. far. And, like, you know, the dangers of the real world get a little too close. Yeah. So, yeah, we kind of played with that idea. Um, okay, tell me more about Draco's swimming without his shirt. Like, what was that like for you to write? Why did you come up with that idea? So, I think in terms of, like, survivorship, I think it's very common for a lot of people to be very uncomfortable with taking their clothes off in public spaces, even in something as, like, normal as swimming, right? Mm-hmm. It's, like, very socially acceptable to get pretty much naked and go swimming and it not be weird and I think that that's something a lot of people struggle with like myself included you know like taking your clothes off in public is like a little weird Mm. like feels very vulnerable in like a way that not many people might relate to if they haven't like had those lived experiences yeah and it can feel vulnerable (laughs) even if you don't have physical scars yeah exactly and to write Draco as someone who has very obviously got a lot of physical scarring where other people are suddenly able to view his history yeah. on his body. He's yeah. not able to escape that. 
Yeah. And even though it's just Harry, it's mm. still like a, a big act of vulnerability. Yeah. And especially because Harry has contributed to those scars. Yeah. Like, he, in a he's big way. a perpetrator. And the fact that like, I really like the idea that Draco is not resentful of what happened. Mm-hmm. Like he was like, yeah, it was a fucked up time for both of us, mm-hmm. but doesn't want to deal with like Harry's guilt. Yeah. It's almost like the guilt of viewers of trauma yeah. who then like this is such a common thing. If something bad happens mm. and then other people so, feel so bad about what happened that the person it happened to has to comfort other people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Rather and than that's like, such a horrible, horrible thing to yeah, have to deal with. No, that's terrible. Mm. Rather than people like taking responsibility for their own feelings about which, things. Which he then does. Yeah, he does. Yeah. Yeah, after like a good talking to. And I think he does a good job of mitigating like the whole, you know, intensity of the situation by being like, cool, we're playing games now. Yeah, exactly. And... and Making it more fun and carefree. Yeah. And, and I, I really liked the way you wrote it. I thought it was really, just a really nice scene between mm. them. Yeah. Good growth. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> Post-traumatic growth. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because I feel like, you know, Harry, if that had happened earlier, Harry might have, like, spiraled about it. And then Draco might have spiraled about it. And mm. they both could have spiraled <laughs> yeah, pretty intensely. They're good at that. Yeah. Uh, so, they're really good at spiraling. But obviously, in this scene, they did a really good job. Mm. It was, like, mutually respectful. It was a little snipey. Yeah. But, I mean, that's in Got character. That banter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and then finishing it up. I really like how you added the line of telling him to get dressed before yeah. anyone showed up. Yeah. So Harry is taking that moment of knowing Draco, like, is extra vulnerable now. Yeah. Put some clothes on. Yeah. You know, like, shore up your defenses. Yeah, Time exactly. to get serious. Yeah, like, <laughs> your psychological defenses. Mm. Because even though they're protected in this enchantment and he could be, like, naked for mm-hmm. all anyone would care, like, psychologically, I don't think Draco would have coped with that very well. No, and I think it's a moment of kindness for mm-hmm. him to tell him to do that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, anything else you want to talk about in this chapter? Any other images you liked writing? Like, did you find it an easy chapter to write? No. No. <laughs> <laughs> I found it hard to read, too. Like, yeah. I know there were, there were chapters in part, part one. one that were a bit difficult to read, but, like, holy shit. Yeah. I was just thrown for a loop rereading that. Yeah. And, and I do overall like this chapter because of the swimming. Like, I find that whole scene very fun. Yeah. And great. It's just sandwiched between two horrible things to get through. <laughs> yeah. Very, like, nerve-wracking things. Yeah. And, yeah, like, I wish um, werewolf lore was something that we explored a little bit more in this fic. I was going to bring that up, too. We, obviously, we get into it in this new fic that we're writing, but I feel like there's so much there. So I wish so we had explored more, because yeah. they don't make, like, a recurrent appearance <clears throat> i think there's a lot of space for us to explore it now and where we mm. sort of left it because we knew that we'd be writing a wolf yeah. star i mean even at this point in the thing we yeah were, yeah we were like yeah wolf stars next yeah <laughs> we're coming for you <laughs> as soon as we finish however long this is yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah so i think we we sort of played with this idea yeah. of like the and it, i like how you bring up that there's like sinister wolves and then there's the professor lupin type of yeah wolf. like yeah. there's obviously a huge spectrum but mm-hmm. these are the bad ones and he knows yeah like he knows them personally mm-hmm. yeah which i think was an important distinction not just amorphous random werewolves well how would they even know yeah that they're exactly. Werewolves? You, exactly they wouldn't yeah. yeah like harry doesn't he needs draco to say yeah can they smell us yeah. they're werewolves yeah mm. yeah. yeah i think that's everything I think it is everything too. That's well it. done reading it. Thank you. <laughs> Sorry if there's a lot of like weird stuttering pauses in the. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna have to do a. 
hell of a job editing that. <laughs> <laughs> so, my apologies. Okay, thanks everyone for yeah. listening. Thanks, see you guys next time. Bye. Bye.